Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, you can grab a seat uh, and good morning. Or should I say howdy? howdy? There it is. All right. Now we're starting. I love it. Man, well, good morning. My name is Jacob Smith. Uh, I'm the college teaching director here at Grace Bible Church at our Anderson College service. Man, I'm excited to be here with you guys. Uh, We had a service, just so you know, uh, we were in here, we had a service at 9.15, and it was still full-ish, but not this full. So if you are interested in parking, not in Snook, uh, and if you're interested in being not like in someone's armpit, then you can join us at 9.15 over these next couple weeks. It's going to be a little bit more room, a little bit more space. Uh, and man, we, I, it, it was fun. I mean, it was a lot of fun. We're excited. This is our first time to have a 9.15. So if you're like, if you've been coming for a long time, this is like your sixth year because you're taking a while, but you're here. You're like, I never heard of no 9.15. Well, it's new. All right, it's new. So calm down and be nice. Oh my goodness, it's church. All right, so we... I'm so glad to be with you guys, man. I'm excited to be with you guys. Our leaders that are sitting amongst you, our staff that's all around this room, man, we are excited to be with you guys. We've been praying for you and we've been waiting for you. And man, I'm excited because I wanted to show you this little thing that I found. Hey, Tyler. Tyler, come here for a second. There it is. Oh, sweet, sweet Tyler. Sweet, sleep tattooed Tyler with a terrible boss. Man, we've been in that situation, right? Tyler found himself in the midst of a crisis, right? His boss, his supervisor, his mentor, his guide, his trusted leader was injured, right? He had a staple through his finger and he was called over. And man, in the midst of that crisis, what happened was he was blinded, right? He was blinded towards what was actually true. He was pushed into this state of distress. And so suddenly, even though that hand's moving, even though that blood is super fake, and even though his boss is, again, a terrible person, he does not see that, right? He doesn't see the world for what it is. He does not see the truth that's right in front of him. And the reality is that, I mean, we've all been in that situation. We've all been blinded by crisis. Some of us really recently, Recently, we've been blinded by the crisis of moving, right? Because we had to move, we had to get into this dorm, we had to get into this apartment or this house or whatever it is. Some of us that have been, you know, sophomores, juniors, if we've been here last year, we're like cleaning up our old place and we're like, where's Jim? Why is Jim never cleaning his room? And yeah, we do it for him anyway. And it's Jim, this is for you. Okay. This was a moment for you. No, he's not real. Well, probably. But we have these moments of cleaning out. We're moving over. And the truth is that in that crisis of trying to get into that new place, man, we're blinded towards some of our true needs. We get the TV set up. And we got our, tea, our beds. And we got all that cool stuff. We got the salt and pepper shaker just in case. And yet then we realize there's no paper towels. There's no paper towels in this entire house. How did no one bring paper towels? And you suddenly find yourself in, in stress. You find yourself in more crisis. And you're out, there's no forks. No one brought a fork. How will we eat? anything except soup just slurp it but we don't know what to do in the midst of that crisis when it pushes us to distress I mean some of us we have the distress of school or the crisis of school and we're we're moving we're taking on these classes some of us man we sign up for like 28 hours this year and it's like all labs and we 
just that blinds us to our physical needs, right? Where we're telling our friends, like, no, 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 I'll totally be fine. I can sleep like two hours. And, uh, uh, and then you just, you pass out and you never wake up because you don't do that. But man, the crisis, it blinds us towards the truth. The crisis of our schedule is becoming so overloaded. What it does is it blinds us towards others' needs. It blinds us to the truth that, man, there's family members or there's roommates or there's friends that are hurting right now. And a lot of times, man, we've already even walked through those situations with the roommate maybe where we've seen like, oh man, I didn't even notice that you were struggling with that. I didn't even ask you about how that was going. Sometimes the crisis of past relationships, it blinds us towards how healthy relationships should work. We find ourselves in the these terrible, toxic relationships, and yet we don't know to get out because we're blinded just trying to hold it together when we need to just let it go. The reality is that, man, we find ourselves in crises. And when those crises, man, when they become tragic, when they become painful, many times our tendency is to be blinded towards the truth that our God is good, that our God loves us. We're blinded towards the truth of who our God is and what he's done. I do that. We all do that. Crisis threatens to blind us, which is tragic because as believers, we mentioned this last week, but as believers, we're a people of faith with a hope that moves us to love. Okay, that's who we are by definition. We are a people of faith with a hope that moves us to love. And yet, even as believers, we can be blinded by crisis. And that crisis can drive us to distress. Man, where we're running in circles, it can drive us to despair, where we just kind of give up. And we can't recognize the truth of who our God is, of what our God's done, and of what our God has promised in our future. And what's tragic is that in college, more than ever before, you have an opportunity to grow in your faith, to be strengthened in your faith. You have the time and the opportunity and the ability to connect with the people of God, to connect with the word of God, to connect with the person of God, and you can be grown in your faith. And yet, statistically speaking, I know that we are much more likely, rather than to walk even further by faith, we are much more likely to just walk away entirely. Recent study by the Barna Group, it's a a collective, they do a lot of studies and polls a lot of times on religious matters. The study by the Barna Group recently, they found that 70%, 7 out of 10, 70% of students who regularly attended church in middle school and high school Right, so in other words, they've grown up going to church. They've grown up being a part of the body of Christ. They've grown up being in a community that's focused on the Lord. 70% of them will stop in college. 70%. And what's interesting is as they followed up with all of these individuals, what they found that out of that 70%, 80% of them, four out of five of those individuals, said that they never expected to walk away. They never planned on it. It wasn't their goal. It wasn't their intention. It just happened. And I'd venture to say that a lot of times what that is caused by, a lot of times what just came out of the blue was a crisis in their family, in a relationship, with a friendship, with people, with a church. And so they just walk away. I mean, this morning what we're doing is we're looking at our faith. 
We're looking in Mark chapter 9. If you have a Bible, if you want to go there on your phone or wherever it is, man, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. We're looking at our faith, not just what it is, man, not just what biblical faith is by definition, but what we're going to see is what is the role of our faith in the midst of crisis? How does our faith intersect with the suffering and the pain of our world? Now, as I talk about faith, I'm using a biblical definition of faith. Biblical faith is outlined for us very, very well in Hebrews 11. Sarah read it to us a moment ago, and it tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things unseen. In other words, biblical faith is a certainty, right? Biblical faith is an assurance. It's something that I know to be true. And this isn't something that I'm just blindly accepting, okay? This isn't just something that I'm just kind of like, oh yeah, someone told me it's true. You know, this isn't just saying like, hey, you know what? Uh, Aunt Jojo, Aunt Jojo's Facebook posts, <laughs> they're always true and reasonable, right? I'll just accept that. My mom told me to like respond and click like. And so yeah, you know what? I'll just blindly accept that Aunt Jojo's Facebook posts are true and reasonable. That's blind acceptance. That's not biblical faith. And biblical faith is also not just hope against hope, right? Biblical faith is not saying like, oh, hey, you know, Aunt JoJo's Facebook posts, they're generally terrible, uh, somewhat racist. And maybe though, but maybe this time, maybe this time her post about Obama or whatever, maybe it's going to be really well thought out thought on the subject matter at hand. Maybe this time she's not going to make me sad for our world. Like maybe, maybe this is the post, right? That's not biblical faith. It's not blind acceptance. It's not hope against hope. Fingers crossed. Biblical faith is an assurance. It's a conviction. Biblical faith is rooted in the past and it creates a present confidence in the future. That's biblical faith. It's grounded, it's rooted in past experience, in past events, in past whatever. And it creates a present confidence in our future. It's turning something from it could happen to it will happen. And close your eyes and just fall down, okay? Okay, then Lauren's going to catch you. Okay, Okay, it's called the trust fall. Okay, trust fall. Ready, set, go. That's faith. That is biblical faith. That was misplaced faith, let me say. That was faith in her father and sister not destroying her life, but, and then putting it on YouTube, but that was faith. That was an assurance. That was a conviction, right? She fell forward with a plum. Like she was going for it. Why? Because she trusted. Maybe because she took something and didn't think it could happen. She said, it will happen. I will be caught. She was wrong. Again, she was very, very wrong. But it was faith. Man, the reality is that we, as believers, we have an opportunity to place our faith in hope. We have an opportunity to place our faith in a person who's trustworthy, always. Someone who we've seen, who has proven himself to be faithful, to be trustworthy. The person being Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who begins in Mark chapter 9, walking up a mountain with his disciples. We find in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, that six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and he led them alone up a high mountain privately. So we open up the scene. Jesus is going on a hike, and he's taking a few of his disciples. They're going to have a good time. They don't really know what they're doing or where they're going. But on the way, Jesus Christ 
puts a little spin on things, and he is transfigured before them. And his clothes become radiantly white, more so than any launderer in the world could bleach them. And then Elijah appeared before them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. On the way up this mountain, Jesus Christ is transfigured. Literally, the word here in Greek, it's where we get the idea of metamorphosis. It means to be changed in form. Okay, that's the word used here. He's transfigured. He's changed in form before them from the little caterpillar to a butterfly. What? Like that's what's happening right in front of his disciples. And part of that outworking, what, the, what Mark latches onto, the, kind of what the author latches onto is this idea that he's glowing, right? He's radiant. In fact, his clothes are radiant and they're glowing and they're so bright. They seem, they seem almost even white, whiter than any launderer in the world could bleach them. Whoa. Take that oxyclean, right? Like, look at this. The power of Jesus Christ compels that dirt away. Like, this is amazing. This is amazing. And not only is he transfigured, not only is he metamorphosized in front of not only change in form, but then he's joined by Elijah. He's joined by Moses. These are men, these are heroes in the Israelite community. Right? These, are, these are incredible figures. And both of these heroes, man, they... They're dead, right? They're dead, and yet they're here. This is an incredible moment for his disciples to suddenly recognize, wow, not only is he transformed, but he's joined by these paragons of our faith, these, these, these heroes, these, these high mountaintops of, the, of our people. It'd be like if suddenly I was joined on stage by George Washington and Mufasa. You'd be like, wow, that'd be amazing for so many reasons, because Mufasa's a fictional character. Like, that's... What's nuts? Jesus Christ is proving himself to these disciples. He's showing them just a glimmer of who he is, of what he can do. He's showing them without a doubt that I, Jesus Christ, am God. That's what he's displaying to these disciples. He's saying, you can trust in me. Why? Because I'm the Lord, your God. I'm not just some dude that's taking you on a hike to go up some mountain. I'm not some just teacher who's really good at spitting out Proverbs. I'm not just some prophet who can foretell the future. He says, I'm God. I'm God. And he says that with his words. He says that with his actions. He tells it to us repeatedly throughout our scripture and throughout our gospels. We see that Jesus Christ is God and he died for us. That's where our faith is rooted. It is planted in the fact that Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for our sake. That Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live and die and rise again for us so that anyone who calls on his name, anyone who trusts in the work of Jesus Christ might be saved, might have eternal life, would have life beyond this broken, miserable, suffering existence. Instead, we get to look to a future day when every knee will bow, when every tongue will confess, when everyone will see those radiant white oxyclean clothes that Jesus Christ is wearing and everyone has to confess he's Lord. That's where our faith is rooted. That's what we believe in. Whether we see things of the Lord's work in our lives or not, we can all look back to this moment. We can all look back to that person of Jesus Christ. That's where our faith is planted. That's what gives us confidence. That's what should have given his disciples confidence. And yet, as we keep going, what we find in Mark chapter nine is that there's a breakdown in the faith. 
There's a breakdown in that confidence. We get to verse 14, and we see that Jesus has taken uh, James and John and Peter, and they've left the mountain. He's told them, like, hey, keep this on the DL for now. And they go, and they find some other disciples, the rest of the disciples, the other nine. And as they walk up, what they find is that there's a large crowd around those disciples, and there are experts in the law arguing with them. So there's a commotion, there's a scene. And so when the crowd sees Jesus, they were amazed and they ran at once and they greeted him. And and he asked him, he was just like, hey, what's going on, right? Like, what are you arguing about with my disciples? And and as that crowd is kind of massing and pushing around him, suddenly a figure steps forward, a man steps forward, and he says to Jesus, he says, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that makes him mute. All this hubbub, all this commotion, it was instigated by me, Jesus, because I brought my son who's possessed. My son who has the spirit that whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able to do so. His father in pain, in suffering, watching his child overcome by this demon. He says, I'm, I'm the start of all this. Suddenly we see the brilliant glory created by Jesus Christ held in dark, dismal contrast to the danger, the destruction, and the pain and the suffering created by sin. That's what we have in Mark 9. This father says, I've been watching my son suffer and I brought him to your disciples and I asked them to heal him probably because he had heard that that could happen. He heard that there was healing. He heard that there was this Jesus guy who had these people that had power over disease and death and demons. And he says, I brought him to you, but I asked your disciples and they couldn't do it. Why? If we read the parallel passage in Matthew 17, if we read the same story from a slightly different angle, what we find in Matthew 17 is the disciples go to Christ, Jesus after all this. They say, hey, why weren't we able to cast out that demon? And Jesus turns to him and says, because your faith is small. Because your trust is lacking. Because there's a breakdown between that faith you're supposed to have rooted in me and the confidence that you're supposed to have in my power and in my ability. He says, your faith is weak. Your trust is small. And to be fair, man, these disciples that he's talking to, they didn't see him on the mountain transformed. But they had been walking with him day in, day out for a long time. And they had seen Jesus Christ prove his power over death. They'd seen him conquer disease. They'd seen him conquer demonic forces. They'd seen all of this. And yet, in the moment, in the midst of that crisis, they were driven to distress and they doubted, and they faltered. It's like if Jesus told them, hey, I have an apple for you. It's gonna be really good. You excited about this apple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. I'm gonna put it in this clear Ziploc bag that I just created, because I'm Jesus. <laughs> and here it is, safe and sound for you. And as soon as he puts it in that clear Ziploc bag, all the disciples are freaking out about what happened to the apple. Where'd it go? What are we going to do? What are we going to eat? Oh, my mouth is so dry. Like they need something. They're suddenly in distress despite having just seen Jesus Christ do these things, perform these miracles, move in these ways, say these, make these promises. Their faith is too small. I mean, let me tell you, we, we do this. 
Right? The disciples, they were blinded by crisis. The reality is that we are also blinded by crisis. And in the midst of our distress, when that crisis, when that suffering, when that pain, when that, I don't know, class situation, that famous situation, when that relationship breakdown, when that event or situation or circumstance, when it drives us to distress and we start freaking out and we start thinking of what we can do to fix the situation or make it right or, or do what's the, whatever is going to make it all kind of go away. In that moment, in our distress, what we do is we forget, I forget to recognize the truth that our God is greater than the crisis, that our God is greater than anything this world has to offer, that Jesus Christ has promised us that nothing in this world will overcome us because he's already overcome the world. So many times we still find ourselves with our faith breaking down, with our faith being too small. I mean, if the disciples could do it, well, the father of this boy has every reason to doubt. He does. And we see it. Verse 21, Jesus goes to the father. He says, hey, how long has this been happening to your son? And the father of the boy says, from childhood. It's often thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you, Jesus, are able to do anything, have compassion on us, help us. Jesus says to him, if I'm able. If you're able. Jesus says, look, all things are possible for the one who believes. The father in this moment, he has some doubts and there is reason for that. I get it. Because this father from, uh, for a long time has had to watch his child suffer. And I'll tell you this, watching your child suffer is worse than any pain that could be inflicted upon you personally. It is. These past couple of weeks, my body has been in open rebellion against me. Uh, I've had a couple different in infections and fever, fun time, extravaganzas. And in the midst of all of it, uh, it started, I had a couple weeks ago when I was speaking at a camp, I had uh, this terrible fever thing. And then uh, this past Sunday, I came down with strep throat uh, with more fever and more just, and, and I found myself in that moment kind of laying in bed sick this past week, uh, which is a very inner, inopportune week to be sick because you're all coming and you won't stop coming. And so I realized in that moment as I'm laying in bed sick, I kind of reached that moment, you know, of just sort of, uh, of, of promising myself like, hey, you know what? Next time I don't have fever, I'll never take it for granted. I'm always going to appreciate that. Right, that moment when I'm just kind of racked with like chills, but also I'm hot and I don't know what's going on. I was like, if I'm not sick ever again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love it. I'm gonna click my heels every morning that I get to wake up without fever. Right? Like I just, I know I'm gonna, I know I could do it. God, if you just give me one more chance. And in that moment, man, as I'm racked with that stuff, as that, that, the, the pain and the disease is ravaging my body, in that moment, I, was, I felt so much worse. I felt so much more pain when I heard these baby coughs coming through our monitor. Because last Sunday, my daughter, Charlotte, who's awesome, and she looks like this, and she's very old, and she's eating a cookie, because she earned it, because she's been coughing, all right? Because last Sunday, Charlotte uh, came down with pneumonia. And so we went to the doctor, we got all the medicine, all that kind of stuff. But man, she still had these, she had these rough coughs. And when I say baby cough, um, I should clarify, it's more, it was sort of like a cough that you, you earn, right? Over like 60 years of just like fast living and like dousing your cigarettes in gasoline before you smoke. I'm like, that's, that's the kind of like, like the terrifying cough. 
<laughs> Gary, you think the, the earth is opening and you're like, what's going on? That's the cough that's coming from my little baby girl. And, and I hear that and I see that. I mean, I'll tell you, it hurts me. You know, the most pain was definitely felt by my wife, Susan, who's incredible and had to take care of the world falling apart around her all week like a champ. But man, watching our daughter suffer, watching our, our, our child, our little one in pain, man, that, is, that is, is, is devastating. And I'll tell you, in the midst of that crisis, in the midst of that crisis that some of us have walked through, of watching a loved one, sibling, parents, friends, family, as we've watched other people suffer, as we've seen our parents' marriage fall apart, as we've watched other relationships break down, if we just look out into our culture at large, this past summer, and we see the pain, we see the destruction, we see the devastation, we see the death, we see the, the horrific tensions, the political upheaval. I mean, when we look out at that, the crisis of that situation, the suffering and the pain of those situations, it can drive us to despair. It can. A good friend of mine, man, his, he had a sister who was diagnosed just a couple years old with leukemia. And man, his parents, they were committed. They were like, we're going to fight this. We're going to work on this. We're going to go to the treatments. We're going to go through these processes and all these procedures. And it just didn't take after about a year, when she was three, she passed away. I can't even imagine the depth of that loss, the depth of that despair. You know, in that crisis and that suffering of watching your child suffer and die, it drove his parents apart. They split. They divorced. They couldn't take it. And people get there. Some of us have gotten there. If we haven't faced that crisis yet, I'll tell you, it's coming. Crisis can push us to despair. This father of this boy who's been ravaged with illness and self-destructive tendencies. This kid who from birth has been dealing with this incredible struggle. I mean, the father of that kid has every reason to doubt. He has every reason to despair. And yet, in the midst of that crisis, when Jesus Christ pushes back and says, if I can help you, the father turns back to Jesus. The father of the son turns to Jesus and he cries out immediately and says, I believe. Help my unbelief. He says, I want to believe in you. I want to trust you. I want to believe that you have the power and the authority to accomplish this healing. I want to believe that you have the power and the authority to abolish this crisis. I want to believe that you're greater than any suffering, than any situation that I find myself in. And crisis drives this father of this hurting, pain, suffering child. It drives this father to dependence, not to stress, not despair, but to dependence upon Jesus Christ. Man, some people, they look out and they see the suffering of our world and they decide that they cannot believe in a God. 
talk to those people. You've talked to those people. You will talk to those people. You will meet those people in your classes, in your families, wherever it is. Man, there are people that see the suffering of this world. They said there cannot be a God. And yet we as believers, we say, no, I see the suffering in this world. And I decide that I have to believe that there's the God, the God that has promised that all this world will be done away with. When I see the suffering, I decide I must believe in God because pain, man, it can push us to distress. It can push us to despair, but where it should push us is dependence. Man, I have some friends who have these children that are, that are suffering here in town. One of them's on staff here with Grace. I mean, they've got two little boys, each of them separately. And these sons, they've got, they've got terrible physical issues. Young kids struggling. And yet when I talk with these men, when I talk with these brothers in Christ, these other fathers, Man, it warms my soul to hear them talk about it. It encourages me forward to hear them talk about the suffering that they see because it pushes them, it pushes their wives, it pushes their families, it pushes their friends towards dependence. You know, Jesus heals this son. Jesus heals this boy. And he does it as a sign that, you know what, he's greater than the crisis. You know what, there's a day that's coming when All this will be done away with. Jesus does that. But you know what? There has not been healing for other people in our lives. So our trust, our faith is not based on Jesus Christ, on the Lord our God, on the Holy Spirit moving and taking away every crisis and taking away every problem and taking away all suffering tomorrow. Our faith is not in that. Thankfully, in our faith, it isn't, we don't have to wait on a crisis. We don't have to wait on some distressing, despair-laden situation to occur before we can learn to depend on the Lord, before we can strengthen our faith. I mean, crisis, it, it drives dependence, and dependence forms our faith, but we don't have to wait for that crisis. We can be strengthening our faith now through practice and through people. We can practice depending on the Lord. Something that I love to do, something that has been so beneficial to me just personally in my walk with the Lord and my personal faith is that I just make note of when I see the Lord move, when I see the Lord work. I send myself an email, I write down a note. I literally, I mark down physically. This is what I saw the Lord do. And so when those moments of crisis come, I have something that I can go to. I have an assurance that I can turn back to. I can always go to Scripture. But now I can even go to my own personal experience and say, no, I've seen the Lord. I know that he's good. I know that he's faithful. We can record what we see the Lord accomplish. We can also turn to people to strengthen our faith. Man, out of that Barna study, when they found that 70% of students walked away when they hit college, what they found as they continued to study, as they continued to, to ask questions, they found that 30% of them come back. Right, one out of three comes back. So what brings them back? There was a follow-up study by Fuller Seminary. And they were interested in this question. They were interested in this issue. And they're saying, hey, yeah, what, what's keeping people in or what brings people back to the church? They say, what, is kind of the, what are the determining factors in that situation? And what they found after talking with a bunch of people, after asking a lot of questions, after going far and wide with polls and studies and all this stuff, what they found is that the number one factor, all right, the very top reason, the, the, the primary factor in people staying in or coming back to the church is whether or not they have a loving community in which they can express their doubts and express their fears about their faith. Number one factor. 
whether or not they have a community of people where they can be known and be loved. A place where they can share what's on their hearts, their doubts, their fears, their frustrations, their struggles. Because you know, when you're in that community, those people, they can speak into that. They can keep your eyes pointed on Christ. They can encourage you. They can walk with you. So man, my question to you, the question that you need to be asking yourself, whether you're here, whether you're going to another church, no matter where you get involved this year, man, the question you need to ask yourself is, where is my community? Where am I plugged in? Where am I known and loved? Where am I committed to the well-being of other men or other women or both men and women? Where am I plugged into a community of like-minded believers? Not just who are the people that I can hang out with or who are the people that I can like go play smash with or like go braid hair. I don't know. Like, well, who are the people that I can go bake all my cool cookies with? Like, that's not the question that you're asking yourself. Those things are good and important, but you're asking yourself, man, who are the people that are going to know me? Who are the people that are going to ask me about how my life is going? Who are the people that are going to ask intentional questions about my spiritual walk? Who are the people that I can go to with confession? Who are the people that I can go to with doubts and with fears? Because I'm telling you right now, that's the number one determining factor and whether or not your faith is strengthened by college or whether it is broken. Number one factor, where's your community? We have opportunity for you here. We have so many opportunities for you here. We have leaders spread across this room. We're gonna have leaders at the back, people wearing t-shirts, people wearing lanyards, people that wanna talk to you and invite you to be a part of the communities that they're forming, that they're already a part of. We have that for you here. They have that for you at other wonderful churches here in town with student ministries on campus. I don't know where you're gonna find it, but I'm telling you, you need to find it quick. Commit yourself. Within this next few weeks, within this first month, you're going to find a community and you're going to plug in. Because you need it. Because again, man, I'm not putting my faith in a dream that next week will be free of crisis. I'm not putting my faith in the hope that all my pain just disappears tomorrow. But I'm putting my faith in a God who has conquered sin, who has conquered death, who has promised that there is a day that is coming when my struggles will end. That there is a day coming when crisis is conquered. That there's a day coming when death is defeated. That there's a day coming when suffering is over and our Savior is King. That's the day that we're hoping in. That's where my faith is placed. That's the God who I believe in. And that's the God that people need to point you to. That's the God that you need to point others to as in the midst of crisis and in the midst of struggle because it's coming for all of us. And so we walk alongside of each other. We put our arms around each other. We say, hey, we're going to move forward in this. I know that this relationship's falling apart. I know the situation is going to the dogs. Man, I know that these things are falling apart around you. But you know what? There's a God who's good, who loves you, who has a plan. There's a Jesus Christ who died for you. And he calls us forward in faith. So let's go. That's who you need around you. That's the community you need to find. Let's pray to God and ask him to reveal it. Lord, we thank you that you have given us an opportunity, Lord, to meet with your people. God, to hear from you through not just your scripture, God, not just through the uh, prayer, but the Lord, you've given us an opportunity to hear from you through the people around us. So if you would take a moment right now, ask the Lord to draw to your mind, man, where is it that you can find community? 
Where is it that maybe you've already made a few connections? Where is it? Maybe it's a community that you're, I mean, you're a senior, you're a junior, whatever. You've already got a community that you've been tracking with. That's awesome. Ask the Lord to just bring those people to your mind. If you already know who they are, be praying that the Lord would strengthen your community, that the Lord would continue to work through that community. For some of us, man, we don't think of people. We don't have that group. We don't have that, that small group, that, that Bible study, that community found. And so ask that the Lord would draw to your mind maybe a person you've already met, maybe an opportunity. Ask that the Lord would bring a conversation or a relationship into your life this week that you might have a clear step forward into life into a community of brothers and sisters in Christ who love you, who know you, and want to keep your eyes and your faith focused on Jesus Christ. Ask that the Lord would do those things, would bring that to your mind right now. Hello and welcome to the Grace College Postcast. And uh, my name is Kevin Barra. And I'm Jacob Smith. And we are the uh, college communicators here at Grace Bible Church. Uh, We oversee our services at Anderson. I'm at Anderson. Kevin's at Southwood. Uh, And man, we're happy to kick off a brand new semester. It has been an exciting summer and we are so glad to be kicking off the fall semester with you guys. And uh, we had a fun kickoff with a color war. We did. We did. It was a it was a colorful affair. Uh, I had never actually been to a color war before. I don't Me think either. either of us had been to a color mm-hmm. war before. No. Uh, I knew of it in theory. Mm-hmm. I did not know of it in practice. Yeah, one of our fellows uh, came up and said, hey, we should pull this off. And anytime you can get a couple hundred college students together and pelt them with colored-filled mm-hmm. water balloons, it's going to be a winning time. It's going to be a good time. You're yeah. going to enjoy it. Uh, it, was, it was incredibly... Uh, insane, but super, super fun. Uh, definitely want to do it uh, every week. Just, <laughs> Maybe not every, but it was, it was, it was, it was fun to pull off, and it's fun to see all the college students excited to be back. And, it was. Uh, yeah. and I tell you what, our first first couple Sundays were were so fun. Yeah, I mean the energy in the room was awesome. And, Slightly uh, less colorful, but just as fun, just as exciting. We had our first. Uh, actually, even we we had another first. We had our first nine fifteen service at Anderson. So yeah. we're not just meeting at 11 o'clock in the morning. We're also meeting at 9.15 in the morning. Uh, and man, it was super cool. I was shocked at the number of people who were willing to brave the early morning, <laughs> brave the early morning of nine, at nine o'clock AM, <laughs> uh, you know, roll out of bed at 8.45, get it's to a, church crack at dawn by 9.15. Yeah. Well, the best part about it was we had about a third as many students in the 9.15 as we did in the 11. Mm-hmm. Um, but they drank just about the exact same amount of coffee between the two services. <laughs> Perfect. Which Perfect. was good. You know they needed it. They were, man, they were pepped. It was good. By the end of it, they were, they were feeling good. That's but awesome. And we were able to launch, and we, yeah, it's great. And we were able to launch uh, our, our series, uh, yeah. two-week series for, for Grace College. And uh, one of the fun things we get to do is to really just kind of dream and work together as we kind of craft these series for our college students. And, uh, and we, so we centered on the, the themes of faith, hope, and love uh, for these kind of first two weeks as we're launching out. So, Jacob, why don't you tell us a little bit about how we came, yeah. came up with the series? Uh, we, 
We love the start of the new year because it's a bunch of fresh faces. It's a brunch of uh, just kind of new energy, new excitement. And because of that, we we realized like, hey, man, this is a chance to kind of reset and kind of like reposition ourselves, just kind of set our feet, see like, okay, where are we headed? Who are we? Mm. What are we doing? Um, and so we looked even beyond the walls of Grace Bible Church. We weren't just saying like, who are we here at Grace? We're saying, hey, wh- who are we just as believers, as as followers of Jesus Christ, yeah. who are we? And, and we're basically, what we settled on was just the fact that we're a people of faith who have a hope that moves us to love. And so That's we've gotten to talk about that faith. We've gotten to talk about that hope. Uh, this next week, we get to talk about that love, how it, how it's experienced and extended beyond the community. Uh, but, man, it, it's it's really fun to just kind of, again, sort of cast that vision and kind of see where are we headed, what's the semester hold for us. Um, yeah, and it's kicking off. It's kicking off well. Yeah, and I'm really excited about this series in particular because we've got so many new freshmen coming in, and uh, and really as we've been thinking about our small groups, uh, we really want to emphasize uh, people that extend love, that invite people in, that yeah. uh, that are a place where where people can feel connected and feel like they can have a home, and we feel like this series sets us off on that trajectory really, really well. So, so yeah, so love for you to join us at one of our campuses, um, and as we jump into love next week. Yeah, which it's going to be a very loving environment, a be. great place to be. Uh, and yeah, and like you said, I mean, it leads us right into our small groups kickoffs. Uh, so that's, right. that's coming up next week, September 8th. Uh, we are going to be reaching a lot of students in a lot of places. We have multiple locations. We're three locations, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. What do you remember what they yeah, are? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm really excited about this. So for college students, we, we know, we, we love the large gathering, but we know they need community. And through our small groups, it's a great opportunity for our students to get connected with other students and be led and help them grow in their walk with Christ. And so, yeah, there's three locations that we're going to have. One is going to be at our Anderson campus, and they, it will be on our main side at our mm-hmm. Anderson campus uh, from 7 to 9. Uh, simultaneously, we'll also have them at our Southwood campus. And so they'll be in the, Cal- the Southwood College wing. So folks familiar with that area, come all over there. And then a third location, this is, this is really exciting for us. We're, we are launching some groups that are going to be meeting on campus at Texas A&M University. What's the vision kind of behind that, Jacob? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we want to meet people where they're at. And so uh, in the interest of, you know, being these people that are moved by love, what we thought is, I mean, you know what we should do is we should just spread out. We've got a big campus. We've got 60,000 students at Texas A&M. We've got 15,000 students at Bloom. We've got 75,000 students in our community. And you know what? They spend a lot of their time at school. And so mm-hmm. what we're having this year is we're going to have communities that are meeting on Texas A&M campus. Variety of nights, variety of uh, locations, reaching different dorms or areas of campus, and uh, so yeah. So for this for this kickoff, uh, what they're doing is they're actually they're not meeting us at Anderson, they're not meeting us south, but they're they're meeting up at A and M, and it's it's really great. I'm really excited for it. We've got some amazing fellows directing all that, and all the information for that is on our website. So if you're interested in you know coming straight out of your 10-hour study session and walking straight into some people that want to love you and, and support you and uh, encourage you in your faith. Uh, yeah, you can find all that stuff online yeah. uh, through our website, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, we'll, we'll put all those details out. Yeah, www.grace-bible.org. Please check us out there. And uh, yeah, especially if you're a freshman and not sure how to get connected, if you live on campus, come on out to our campus small groups uh, that will be launching this coming Thursday, September 8th. And the last one we got is actually Wednesday, right before that kickoff, and it's 
College Game Day. Yes. And uh, that's going to be at our Southwood campus. Sports. It is <laughs> sports. It's going to be great. <laughs> the fun part about this uh, Grace College Game Day is that we have three Aggie athletes that are actually coming mm-hmm. out and sharing their testimonies of how Christ has made an impact in their life. Uh, the event itself is from 6 until 8.30. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be food trucks from 6 until 7. So oh, yeah. come, get ready to eat. And uh, two local radio guys, uh, Gabe Bach and Chip Howard, are going to help host the event. And so they will make you laugh, and and it'll be a really, really fun time. We'll be time. asking those hard-hitting questions. Hard-hitting questions. Great Fun-ing. interviewers. <laughs> Getting to the guys. bottom of what our athletics program was really looking like this year. Boom. And we all want to know. And Trevor Knight will be there giving his testimony. He's our Texas A&M quarterback this year. And uh, so it'll be a really, really fun event. So hope to see you out there. That is Wednesday September 7th. September 7th. Yeah. So that'll be a lot of fun. So with that, that's that wraps up our first Grace College podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next week about this time. Yep. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.